You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. Attention, if you're an eastern whitetail hunter with dreams of hunting elk, antelope, or mule deer out west, but are overwhelmed with the knowledge gap, look no further than outdoor class. Outdoor Class features professionally produced courses taught by the world's leading outdoor experts and can be consumed on your phone, computer, or TV. Visit OutdoorClass.com and start the process of making your hunting dreams come true. Use discount code EMPIRE20 at checkout for 20% off. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast. I wonder how many times I've said that. That's a lot of time saying the same damn thing. But today we have a good podcast, and here's why. If you can go back, if, if you're a mobile hunter or some kind of guy who has found success over the last X number of years, let's say, there's probably a moment where you changed your strategy and had kind of an aha moment. And today's podcast, we're going to be talking with Dane Whitset, and he's going to talk about his 2019 aha moment where he started getting mobile and being mobile led to him being more successful and I think this, that, that year he shot the biggest buck of his life and so it's a really interesting episode and I can remember it was 2000 and it wasn't 2016 that's when it really started to like that's when it really all connected in 2016 but it was before that even in failure I can remember I would say 2008-ish, 2007, 2008-ish is when I really started hard in the mobile Terra or setup, tear down, setup, tear down, setup, tear down, different tree, every single hunt type of approach to hunting. And I definitely saw more deer. And it wasn't, you know, I had a couple successful seasons in between 2008 and 2016, but it was in 2016 when it just all clicked for me and it just became reaction and and I didn't have to think about it too much and a lot of that has to do with jumping off the 
comfortable cliff and and hoping you fly when it comes to being mobile. And a lot of guys are afraid to do that. And so Dane on this episode talks about that and talks about how it instantly translated into more opportunity on good deer. And so that's the, that's the topic of conversation today. It's that aha moment. Do me a favor, when I post this, I'm having some trouble and I need your help. I posted a picture of a sandwich on Instagram the other day and it got four likes. And so I've noticed a, an absolute huge decline in activity and I, I have a I have a good feeling it's because I've been banned on some level or my content uh, I know in Instagram there is a button that in the background if if you tend to violate their terms what those are nobody knows but when you uh, do that they have the ability to hit a reduce visibility button on your profile and so I think that's what's happening because I, I asked a couple questions and only one person responded to it. And usually it's way, way higher than that. And I, and, and I could go into detail about other, other reasons. And I'll tell you this, that is why I like going and posting some of my content on Go Wild as well. Uh, if you're not familiar with Go Wild, it is a, it's an app, it's a social media app for outdoorsmen specifically. And so if you, don't, if you haven't heard about that, go check out Go Wild. They have a website as well. And it, and so I just get real frustrated when I see all, you know, I don't know, me getting shut down for something that I love to do that's not really hurt, hurting or threatening anybody. And so it just makes me frustrated. And so what I'm getting at here is do me a favor when I launch this episode, go to social media, go to my Instagram page, Nine Finger Chronicles, and just leave a comment about your aha moment that you had in hunting what year it was maybe a small little comment about um what it was the the scenario where you where you had that aha moment and i'd love to read your guys's your guys's uh comments on that so awesome episode today it's very interesting and a little bit educational a little bit uh um, fun and so uh i hope you guys enjoy it now before we get into today's episode, I'm going to run through our sponsors real quick, the people who help me pay my bills, and that is Tethered. Now, last year, I tagged out fairly early in Iowa, and so my plan is to hunt a couple other whitetail-specific states this year on my out-of-state trips, and I'm really going to rely heavily on the saddle, my platform and my climbing sticks from Tethered. And I know there's uh, other companies out there, but Tethered is... I guess I'm going to say one of the most popular, one of the most well-known. They have a, an awesome selection of saddles, platforms, saddle hunting accessories, climbing sticks, you name it, they have it. Now what, in my opinion, what sets Tethered apart from other saddle hunting companies is the content that they put out for their end users to help make them a better saddle hunter and so it might help you flatten the learning curve a little bit so go check out uh, tether next on the list wasp archery wasp has been a partner of the podcast i think since 2015 or 16 or something like that like these guys have been involved in the nine finger chronicles since almost day one and i really appreciate that so not only do they make a badass 
selection of broadheads. They're just really good people and they've believed in what I am doing. And so I, I don't know. It just, it's really, it's awesome to work with people like that. And not only that, but they have a selection, right? They have a selection of fixed blades for the fixed blade guys. They have a selection of mechanicals for the mechanical guy. Now you pick what you want. Most of their heads are still made in the United States of America, another huge benefit. And they're, the detail in the design, the material, they're just a really durable broadhead that slays, period. Uh, so go check out wasparchery.com, discount code NFC20, NFC20 for 20% off. Uh, last but not least, oh, we got two more, hunt stand. It's, a, it's that time of year where I'm starting to plan for my next season hunts. And I'm, I'm just starting, um, I want to hunt Kansas this year and I want to hunt Oklahoma this year. And that might be a one trip. Like I, I'm going to go down there, try to hit both states within maybe a 10 day period. And so that to me is going to be a, a chore, but I'm going to get ahead of myself. I'm going to put the, well, I'm going to put the horse before the cart. I'm going to plan as much as possible through hunt stand, looking for access routes, looking for public land, looking for um, all of the information that hunt stand offers through their platform. That's going to help me prepare for a trip like that. And then once I go out there, put boots on the ground, I can start journaling and documenting everything that I see. Whether I decide to hang trail cameras up or find rubs and scrapes or mark deer activity, it's going to allow me to save that information so the next time I go back down there, I'm going to have a better grasp on where I am actually hunting and it just gets you closer to success. All right, so huntstand.com, go check it out, read up on all the functionality and their new pro whitetail platform. If you're a serious whitetail hunter, go check out Huntstand. Last but not least, Vortex Optics. I mean, what can I say about this company that I already haven't said? Amazing products, period, right? Uh, spotting scopes, binoculars, rifle scopes, red dots, range finders, you name it, they have it. Uh, it's top tier, high quality merchandise. And the people that work for the company are also top tier, you know, merchandise as well. Be sure to go check out their brand new, it's badass. I have, I didn't get it until after my Western hunts this year, but I'm looking forward to using it next year, but they have a really badass. And I know it's hard to get hyped about a product like this, but I've messed around with it and it is badass. It's a tripod for your spotting scope and for binoculars. And so it's light and it looks like it's durable. So I can't wait to beat the piss out of it this upcoming season. Vortexoptics.com. Don't forget about their VIP warranty. You break it, send it back to them. They fix it for free and send it back to you. That's top tier customer service. I just paid my bills. Thank you guys very much for listening to that. I really appreciate it. Be kind to each other. Good vibes in, good vibes out. Wear your safety harness. And let's get into today's episode. Three, two, one. All right. On the phone with me today, Mr. Dane Whitset. Dane, what's up, dude? Oh, just another, I guess, Wednesday it is. Yeah, that's a fact, man. All right. So, I don't know. Do you have kids? No, no kids. No kids. Girlfriend, one dog. Okay. All right. Good, good, good. Um, so, this, I don't want, how old are you? 31. 31. Okay. I don't want to scare you. All right. So ah. I 
was about, let's see, we got married in 2012, which would have made me 32. So I got married in 32. I've been married for, oh man, this year will be my 11th year of being married to 2023. Yep. And so, um, man, I look back at what life was like before kids, maybe with a girlfriend and and with my girlfriend's dog, it was like, it's just a dream. I mean, it doesn't even seem like reality. Like I used to live that life. Like I could go and do whatever (laughs) I wanted. Flashback to this last four days. So, my son, he got sick. He puked. We took him to the toilet. He said, my tummy feels better. Walks out into the hallway, pukes all over the hall. And then oh, a, no. a trail of puke to the toilet. And he pukes, not necessarily in the toilet, but all around it and on top of it. Oh, no. Clean that up. Next morning, barfs again. It does the same thing. Like this time he makes it to the bathroom, but instead of puking on the um, puking in the toilet, he pukes on the rugs that are in the bathroom. All right. Oh, no, no big deal. The next day he's feeling a little better. He's, okay. he, he, you can tell his attitude's a little bit better. And he, we're sitting at the, the breakfast table. He's eating some waffles and he sneezes and shits his pants at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, the old sneeze shit. (laughs) Oh man, and he goes, Dad, I pooped my pants. And I said, (laughs) and I said, "Uh, I heard it, buddy. Uh, Let's go get you cleaned up. And then, so that took, you know, at that point, I've been through that. That that was my youngest boy, and so I've been through that with two other kids. So we don't even try to save the clothes. We just throw that right in the trash, throw them in the shower, spray them down like basically a car, and then. We go back. I go, all right, buddy, do you need to try to poop again? No, I think I got it all out. <laughs> so, I would hope so. Yeah, but he's like, can I go finish my waffles? I'm like, yeah, buddy, you go finish your waffles. <laughs> and so our house has been just like this disaster and chaos. Well, really, it's chaos every day. So the whole the whole point of me telling you this story is if you decide to have children, that is what's coming your way. A lot of I, sneeze shitting. I think I can kind of look forward to that. I'm All not right. sure. All right. Well, just uh, you've been warned type of comment, okay? Well, luckily, Casey's a couple of years younger than I am, so I have some time. Okay, good, good. Uh, do you have any uh, nep- nieces or nephews or anything like that? I have one niece, one nephew, uh, one brother, so so both from the same family. Yeah. I believe it's four and one. I you know, I should be a better uncle and know that by heart, but I really don't. No, I'll be honest. I think a good uncle doesn't know that stuff. Like, yeah, a, see, I'll go with that one. Yeah, a good uncle is his responsibilities towards his nieces and nephews are, go way beyond that. It's other things that are important. That's that's what I say. Like, I yeah. try to teach my my little nephew something completely ridiculous every time that uh, uh, that I we were talking about big animals. And I, uh-huh. I don't, I, you know, it's probably a little inappropriate, but I said, Hey, do you know that a blue whales? And I, I knew, I didn't really, I don't know it right now, but a blue whales penis weighs this much. And oh. he's like, Whoa, that's cool. So he went around telling everybody that a blue whales penis. And so at the end of the day, I go, not only did I educate him, but I, I, I got back at his brother and his wife at my brother and his wife just a little oh, bit. Per- oh, perfect. Yeah. Yeah, so that's yep, an that, uncle's responsibility, I take. That is absolutely an uncle's responsibility. Yes, yes. Well, kids, dogs, uh, life. 
right? Uh-huh. And then we sprinkle we sprinkle some stuff like deer hunting into that or cooking wild game or whatever it is. And so, you know, you emailed me and I uh, a little bit of a story and I said I like it. Uh, I want to talk to this guy on the podcast. So, Dane, why don't you tell me a little bit about where you live and what do you do for a living? I live in Northeast Ohio. I've been here for pretty much my entire life. Did a couple of years up in Michigan, but adult life here in Ohio. And I work as a firefighter paramedic, which I've been doing for 12 years now. And if you haven't had somebody on the podcast before who works in that field, it is a hunter's dream. And let me tell you why. Because I have so much time off work. Yeah. Now, are you being sarcastic? No, no. Okay, okay. I I work 24-hour shifts, and then I have two days off, and, and then I go back. So that's about 120 days a year, okay? Nice. Nice. It's it's a 52-hour week cycle, which means, according to fair lab- labor laws, I have to be given off two shifts every 63 days. So that's about 10 or 12 shifts a year. So that's 110 days a year. Plus my vacation days, I work 100 days a year. Yeah. And, the, it, and it, under, it takes yeah. one vacation day to get off five days in a row. Exactly. Oh, jeez, man. That's a lifestyle, bud. That's a good it's, decision on your part. It, it's a good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, I got some other buddies who who do that. One guy, and I, I've said that I've told this story before. He was in um, highway construction, so he builds overpasses and often on ramps and okay. uh, um, does repairs to highways or builds new highways, whatever. And so he works from roughly ground thaw to to like se- mid September to mid. Like to somewhere in that September, depending on how bad they really need him. But he's real good friends with his boss and his boss lays him off. And so this guy, I mean, shit, now he's probably mid 40s, never been married, doesn't have any kids. And all he does every single year is hunt a ton of different states from, you know, if he goes out west and he'll hunt elk or something like that every yeah. every couple of years. And so he gets off. He works like a dog when he's working but when he gets off it's it's the floor is yours right i mean he can go wherever he wants he goes to like five different states to hunt whitetails every year and yeah. uh, and then you know when the ground thaws back up and you can get back out there and start working again in the spring is when he gets when he gets back so uh what what a hard life to live exactly exactly now i don't know how much how how that would fly if you added you know uh, responsibilities in there, like a girlfriend or a wife or kids or th- things like that. But even yeah. I can, I can imagine your work being, I mean, your life with an, a couple kids, you know, once they get it to the school age, I mean, man, you could hunt, you could still do a lot of hunting. Oh yeah. With that yeah, schedule. For sure. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's a lot of guys who pick up second fire jobs and I, I used to do that. And about 2020, I said, you know, enough's enough. I kind of want my time back. And then with the idea of reserving some extra years before I have kids. Yeah, absolutely. Get that out of the way. Uh, and so last question I have is, have you seen the movie backdraft? I have. Okay. So is your life anything like backdraft? No, uh, as long with being a part 
of the 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 fire interior tag team i am also a fire investigator and you would think it is like the movie backdraft but it is more paperwork than i've ever done in my life (laughs) it's like it's being back in college essentially yeah and so are, are there like five alarm bells going off every day when, when you're at work? Or, I mean, do you guys get, are there days? I mean, do you live in no. a, a populated enough city where sometimes you go to work and you just uh, do the, the maintenance and the, the you know, the. So, so the, the township that I work in is about 25.1 square miles and it's a working class population with some rural activities in there as well. Most of them travel into the city during the day and the older population sticks around. So we run about 2,700 calls a year, roughly two to three dozen fires a year. And if that lands on your shift, you get kind of lucky. So we're not, we're not beating down doors all the time, but we keep ourselves busy. Gotcha. Gotcha. Cool. Cool. All right. So let's get into this deer hunting talk, man. Uh, So you're from Michigan, moved to Northeast Ohio, did you come from a hunting family? Did you, were you, were you thrown into the pit right away? Um, pretty much. Uh, I remember being a little twat following my dad in his footsteps out in the snow. Yeah. And that was, that was something that we grew up doing, both my brother and I, who were about a year apart. So we were pretty much doing the same thing year round. Okay. All right. And so was this a, uh, was it, you know, when I think of Michigan, I think a tradition, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, I think a lot of like large groups of people, extended family, all getting together at one location during a rifle season or, or some kind of hunting cabin and, uh, doing the gun season there. Did, did you guys partake in any of that? No, um, not so much. Cause we were so young being up there. Uh, my family's originally from Ohio and I spent, uh, a couple years up there as a kid. So when we came back down here, to Ohio it that's when the the Ohio gun camps deer camps that's where it all started okay all right and how old were you when that happened I was probably about nine. Oh, nine. So, okay so you lived in Michigan just for a little bit and then yeah. you move okay then you moved down to Ohio okay yeah. now have you been back up to Michigan to hunt since then absolutely I actually try and get up there at least once a season okay and so is there a favor? I mean, a lot of guys will say, man, the hunting is completely different once you cross the, the border from Michigan to Ohio. Is that true? It is absolutely true. What What is the difference? Uh, the deer know how to look up in the trees. <laughs> Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. That was funny. I, I didn't realize that. I thought people were joking. But then I hunted Michigan, and I literally watched a doe walk through. A coyote could have came through, and she wouldn't even seen it. She was oh. just too busy oh. looking up in the trees. I'm not I'll joking. That, it was nuts. Hundred percent. It was nuts. All right, and so, so in your from your experience, there is a big there. There's a, a noticeable difference once you cross that state line. 
Yes, pretty, and I would say more or less around the forty-fifth parallel and above is where I spend most of my time hunting. So that's that. That's where I can relate to is those deer. They know what's going on up there. Gotcha. All right, and so I take it because of this, you 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 like to hunt Ohio just a little bit better. Yeah, it's kind of the home turf as far as where I feel comfortable at, especially since I like hunting. Uh, steep terrain and hill terrain and up north it's really not so much just more the thick uh, dense forests so we're down here in ohio i feel like i can breathe and move around a little bit more and have a little bit more predictability with the deer patterns yeah and so you know a lot of guys i mean a lot of guys that i've talked to have talked about southern ohio being a really good place running into uh you know some some really good quality bucks what's north are you, did you say Southeast or Northeast? Northeast, Northeast Ohio. Ohio yeah. yeah. So what is Northeast Ohio like? It's, um, it's the very beginning of the footsteps of the Appalachian foothills where we have a lot more terrain down South. We kind of have the beginning of that here where I'm from. Um, there's great deer here. It's kind of, uh, an unspoken, a, a secret of just how many good big bucks are in this area. And I'm kind of spilling the beans on that one. But there's good bucks here, and they're very fun to hunt. Yeah. And what's, uh, what's a good buck in your eyes? All right. So that's, that's a hard question because I've never actually scored any of the bucks that I've shot. Gotcha. So, so. Around about, you know, you can look at something and you can guess. But, and I, I know 10 inches is a lot to be off. Uh, but average, you know, what, what, what would be a buck out there that would have people going, oh, my God, that's a big deer? Um, I'm going to guess 150, 160 plus is what starts pulling guys' heads. Okay. And so now we take a step below that. And what would you say a lot of guys kill every year? 120s, 130s. Good. Okay. Awesome. And so uh, what's the, the deer population like? We're about uh, 10 to 15 deer per square mile in the Northeast Ohio region. I think Southern Ohio reflects that pretty well too. Okay. And uh, so when you go out and hunt, you know, I'm thinking of the average guy going up, hunting a field edge, you're going to see some deer on a, on a given hunt. Okay. All right. And now uh, what's the, the pressure like, you know, and, and you've, you've already had this experience where you're comparing Michigan to uh, Ohio What's the deer, the hunter pressure like versus Michigan versus Ohio? That's, oh man. So the, the difference between the two is I think there's a lot of set stand hunters in Michigan. They have their box blinds or they go to a specific spot. Now I'm not saying that doesn't happen here in Ohio, but the, pe- the past couple of years where the craze of mobile hunting has become very popular that one hit Ohio hard, myself included. So what used to be a little bit more predictable when you go out in the public here is no longer predictable. You have to find where the other guys are at and then skip around and then find where the deer are avoiding those people. Yeah. And so that is a common theme with absolutely every public land hunter that I have ever talked with. And that is it goes like for me, uh, when I go and I hunt uh, the my brand new farm, and I, I know I'm the only person on it. So I'm, I'm, bas- I'm basically playing checkers, right? It's just mm-hmm. me and the deer. Well, on my other farm, uh, my main farm, I'll call it, there's other hunters that are usually there the same time that I am. And yeah. 
So now I have to be more critical. I have to, you know, take extra steps. I got to play a little chess with these, you know, on, on these properties. And so I got to flank them or I got to go in a different, you know, access route. And it sounds to me like that is, I mean, that's, that's the theme. If you want to get out there and hunt public, you're one of the strategies or, or categories in your strategy has to be knowing how to flank other hunters. Absolutely. Yeah. And if you go to a new piece of public, I prefer to actually get down there on a weekend and not even hunt, drive around and see where guys are parked at and just exit off and keep on going. Yeah. How far do you live away from the properties that you hunt? So all the public that I hunt down South, I'm about an hour and a half to two hours away. There's a, there's a piece of property here in the County that I hunt. It's a kind of a tricky property to hunt because it's only about 30 acres. Half of that is cornfield, which is nice, but given the property lines, which I don't have permission on the outlying properties, I can only access it through the corn, which is on the north side of the property. Yeah. So if the if the wind's out of the north, I'm sitting home that day or I'm driving south. Have you ever tried to get permission on any of the properties just to walk through it to get to your piece? I have. And although the neighbors are nice, they just don't want other people on there, mainly because they have kids and they're just concerned about their kids' safety. And I have yep. no issue against that. Yep, absolutely. And I'm telling you the same thing, man. I, I, I It's difficult when there's only, it makes things real difficult when there's only one access route into a, into a piece. Yeah, right? it does. And so I'll say this. Like I have learned how to be a sneaky mofo when it <laughs> comes. I mean, and and even though I'm hunting public on some of these mm-hmm. spots, I, this year I used uh, an e-bike on some of my hunts. Other okay. other times, I I walk it. You know, I drop down into a creek bed and I'll walk it for a long a long ways. And I just like I don't think guys who have that same, I I honestly, let me back up. I think that there is a, a huge difference in how people access their tree stand locations. And what I mean by that, if you're willing to take the long way around or do something difficult or harder than walking like right on, right through the middle of the field to get there. Absolutely. Have you noticed like a difference in deer behavior when you take that, that access route, that's, harder oh extremely i feel that if you can create some kind of bumper or buffer in between your access route as you're going in you bump so much less deer so many less deer and another thing that i noticed this is just from my personal experience is having a a not skylining yourself right and and even in the woods even when you are um you know, even in, in a field or a pasture with tall grass or, or whatever, man, skylining your, when I take the, the extra steps to be below the horizon line, I'm seeing more deer period. And nothing, that couldn't be truer on this farm that I just picked up this past year because the, the well mowed easy route is a skylined walk right to the back of the farm. I just, it's still mowed but I just hop over on the right side of it and I, you know, on the, I guess it would be the east side of that and just walk that. I can't see into the timber, so I can't see anything, Mm -hmm. but they can't see me either. And then when I get to the back of the property, I J hook down in 
and walk this fence line right down to the creek bed and then that's when all that's where all the deer show up so yeah access man you you got it it's uh it's important it makes all the difference in the world there's even some instances where i've been stuck in the middle of a a, transition hunt from the morning into the evening and i have to cross through the open woods i just have to i'll actually sit in my stand longer to, to make that jump until the shadows cross that open hardwoods perfectly so i don't have to walk in the sunlight i can kind of keep my health my, myself hidden in the shadows yeah yeah that's a that's a great point because i like there's a lot of i mean i know some guys who they got the deer pattern pretty well and right at mm-hmm. right at gray light maybe a deer or doe group moves through well if you're if you're coming in at gray light or you're coming in at 45 minutes before daylight and you're bumping deer that's not a good thing and so nope. I, I know guys who go in way either way early or they'll wait till the sun comes up, take the same access route in. But by that time, maybe a doe group has already moved by and yeah. and they're they just know that that doe group so well to where, you know, they know when to move. And sometimes that's not in the dark. Yeah, I, I used I used to be a daylight hunter. I wouldn't walk in until I could see, you know, 30 or 40 yards mm-hmm. easily in, in front of me. Once I started filming my hunts, I completely switched and I'm, I'm in my stand, bow is up, cameras are up an hour before the sun comes up. Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty much in an hour, roughly an hour. Yeah. Uh, and it, a lot of, a lot of it depends on what I have to do. Am I setting up? Well, then I'm getting mm-hmm. there a little earlier, but if I already have a stand set up, I'm getting there and I'm sitting quiet for about 45 minutes to an hour before the sun pe- peaks up. Now, absolutely. I'm also the guy who hates to sit in a tree stand for a long period of time. And so yeah. uh, if I if I could, I would love to just get there right as, you know, right as it, it's at in gray light, clip in and then the deer start moving. But that just it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. It would be easier, but easier is not always better. That's a fact, man. I think everybody knows that, right? I hope they mm-hmm. do. If you if you haven't figured that out yet, uh, you have a lot to learn when it comes to bow hunting, right? Yeah. Right. So, all right. Um, these the these farms, uh, the thirty acres and uh, the thirty acres in the northeast, and then you drive an hour south uh, to all the public. Mm-hmm. Are they similar terrain? Um. Not really. the The terrain that I hunt up here that's that's private is, although a little hilly, it's very ag heavy. Gotcha. And down south is just hardwoods, and I I try to go deep and avoid a lot of a lot of the other hunters. But the deeper you go in some of these pieces of public, it just gets so thick that although you might find deer and deer sign, you're not shooting more than twenty yards. And although that's kind of the ideal bow range. Even if you're down there trying to get eyes on deer and scout, it's, it makes it very difficult to get out there and, and get it done. Right, right. Agreed, agreed. Man, and I don't know about you, but I used to be that guy who I would bury myself in the thickest, nastiest uh, type of vegetation. And yeah, I'd see deer, and I'd even have I'd see deer, you know, thirty, forty yards but I couldn't ever have a shot at them. Nope. Yeah. So that movement, then I would have to try to find where that movement hit that edge or unless there was like a tree in there, 
I don't know about about you, but sometimes in these real thick areas, there's a, like a big tree that uh, sets up, and usually there the canopy blocks out some light below it, which allows mm-hmm. it to not be as thick, so you could you can shoot into those pockets. But yeah. for the, for the most part, I'm really focusing on where that thickness meets some sort of edge or crick or something, and then I don't I don't know share your experience but that's where the deer that's where the deer movement and that's where the opportunity comes in yeah that absolutely i um tr- trying to to find those pockets here in southern ohio it's it's difficult but it's not impossible and right. if you can get get eyes on a deer doing something patternable and adjust yourself to those pockets it's a very easy way to get done on a doe or a bucket that, for that matter yeah that's a fact all right so in my notes here um, 2019, right? Yeah. 2019, my note says game changing season. Absolutely. Let's, let's talk about, uh, 2019 and why it was a game changing season for you. All right. So, so to start with 2019, I think we need to discuss briefly the years before. Okay. Um, family hunters, we all go out together. Um, my brother would travel a lot for work because he used to build and sell log homes. That's actually what my dad's company is and or was. I don't, I don't know if he's, if he's actually retired or not. Sometimes he says he's working. Sometimes he says he's fishing. And so I'm not sure, (laughs) but it, it was always that we would go out. Uh, we had, you know, names for stands like, Oh, which stand are you going to today? Cherry tree. Oh, cool. I'm going to old school. Cool. I'm going to Oak Ridge. All right, let's go. And then, uh, we, we'd normally bust deer completely out of there in the first day or two because we're leaving our ground scent. We're not being careful. We're just a bunch of people getting together and going hunting, which there's nothing wrong with that, but it's not the best way to kill a deer. Right. Right. So, so up until 2019, that's how everything went. And then the fall of 19, everybody got a little bit busier. So it was pretty, it's just pretty much just me hunting that property here in the county that I live in, that 30 acres with the cornfield, okay? Gotcha. And it was right around the time that you know, you're listening to podcasts, you're watching videos, and the big discussion of being a mobile hunter hit the media everywhere. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't own a saddle at that point. All I had was a climber, but I had never used it because I didn't like having that extra weight on my back because they're certainly not light and they're very bulky. Okay. So, so up until then, you know, it's hitting the stationary stands 2019. I'm, I'm going to try it. I'm going to try to be a mobile hunter and see what I can do differently. See if it actually makes a difference. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dan, I'm telling you, it was like somebody opened the curtains and let all the light in on my hunting life. <laughs> I, I, I have like, I haven't got a reaction quite like yours, uh, through all of the podcasts. Like obviously people have aha moments when we start talking about, you know, going mobile and finding active sign and all the benefits from that. 
Yeah. <laughs> and, but yeah, usually well, it's like, but usually it's just like, Hey, uh, yeah, I started being mobile and I started seeing more deer. Like you just, <laughs> you, you laid it out there so eloquently. And, uh, and so it was a big, a big noticeable difference. How long did it take for you? Was it one hunt or was it, was, it multiple it was hunts? One hunt. It was the first hunt I had in on that property for the season. It was uh, October 11th. I went in with the idea to go smack a doe because I tried to hit a doe in the freezer before I get a buck. Kind of take the pressure off so you're not shooting that quote unquote meat buck. You can actually be a little bit pickier. Yep. So it was the morning of the 11th, and I know some guys are in and outside of, you know, hunting October mornings. I personally never really cared if it's the morning or evening sit. As long as I'm in the woods, I'm a happy camper. Right. So I'm sitting outside of what I believed to be a doe bedding area, and I'm, I'm in my climber. I'm in, a, in an oak tree hoping that it was going to be dropping white, oak, white acorns, and I didn't do my preseason scouting, so I didn't actually know. And a bachelor group came out of the bedding. And I was like, oh, cool, bucks. And it was, you know, how they do youngest to oldest. It was a little six point and then another six or maybe a seven, a small eight point. And then this buck emerged. And he was just this classic looking eight point with really good mass. He kind of looked like a deer that you would find at a department store printed picture, eight point for ten ninety nine that you would buy and take home and put in your living room wall. Yeah. That was him. Or on a t-shirt that you that or, they yeah. sell at gas stations. Yeah. yeah. It was that guy. And I was like, this guy is the pinnacle of what Ohio bucks look like. I want this deer. This is my target buck. Okay. And this was the first time I had ever picked a target buck. I've, I've always been happy with whatever comes underneath me at a certain age class. I'm going to shoot it. I neglected all other deer, not only in the county, but in the state. I wanted that one, and I named him Ohio, and that's the one I was going to kill. Gotcha. All right, so let's talk a little bit about the gear that you, you know, when when you decide to be mobile, you got to evaluate your gear. Ladder stands don't cut it. I mean, they could if, you know, I, I feel confident enough to where I could, it would suck to do, but I could move a ladder stand around a lot in a given season. And, and get in there and, uh, you know, probably get a crack at a deer. That's not really how being mobile works. There's some, usually some gear upgrades. What were your gear Mm -hmm. upgrades for going mobile? Well, I had that, uh, I call them the dip and squat climbers where you kind of push on the top half and then squat your legs up and bite into a tree. And you do that like a frog until you're at a height where you're either going to hunt from that height or you're just tired of climbing. Yep. It, that was that's what I was using. Okay, all right. And then from from that point on, did you upgrade from that? Any other gear, or was it just a climber? It was just a climber, and it had been sitting in my basement collecting dust. I, I, I think I got it for Christmas a couple of years prior, and I was like, it's too big and bulky. Like, thanks for the gift, but in my heart, I knew I was never going to use it. All right, all right. But now something clicked. What? Something. Let me, let me go yes. back. Let me go back and ask you this question. Why all of a sudden did you want to go mobile? It made more sense to adjust to what the deer wanted to do than what I wanted the deer to do. Okay. Okay. I I, I would see deer, but it was, you know, 100 yards, 80 yards, 60 yards, and I'm not shooting that far with the bow. So I needed to get myself to where the deer were comfortable rather than find a way to bring them to me. And although baiting is legal here in Ohio, I don't bait. I 
I have no issues with the guys who do it. I just like the natural chase. Right. Okay. And was that another moving forward from there? I mean, between 2019 and now you've made the decision not to bait. Is it difficult to work around other hunters who do bait? No, um, I personally don't think so. I, I know there's been a conversations of, you know, if, if the neighbor baits, I'm going to bait because they're going to see all the deer and I'm not. Uh, the, the property that I hunted the past couple of years, I hunt the back half and there's another gentleman who hunts the front half. He baits. Okay. I don't. And the, the deer that I see never get out of the bedding and go straight to his bait piles. I'm sure they hit it at night as they're milling and, and doing their normal deer things, but I have never seen a deer bypass their natural pattern just go straight to that bait that's on the same property. Okay. All right. So you don't think baiting's an issue. Um, do you feel like it could possibly play an advantage to you if, if another guy's baiting? It, it's possible. I mean, you don't really know what the neighbors are doing and, and unless you ask them. Right. And I, to be honest, I've never asked my neighbors if they bait or not. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So what you, you have this, this initial experience mm -hmm. and the initial experience is, um, positive and Very. You, you say, Oh my God, man, this is amazing. I, I, I want to go do this again. And so it allowed you to pick a target buck and you said, Hey, I want, I want Ohio. I want only Ohio. And what did you do the rest of that season or from that period of time to learn more about this buck, to find out how he was moving, you know, all, all the stuff that goes into killing a deer. Uh, I pretty much did observation sits mainly because it keeps me in the woods during season and I don't particularly like to run trail cameras. Right. I have a I have six cameras. I keep most of them in my hunting closet year round. Aside from it, if I go on an out of state or a new piece of public land, I'll bring three cell cameras with me okay. just to get quick eyes and make quick game plans. Okay. So I, I didn't put any cameras out to try and figure out this buck's pattern. I figured if that was his bedding area that he came out of as a pasture group, he's probably going to be the dominant buck that keeps that bedding area. So I figured he was going to stick around so long that I didn't bump him too much. Okay. Okay. All right. And so then uh, you, you, you played it calm. You hunted the fringes. Yep, absolutely. Okay. All right. And did what kind of information did you pick up while you were hunting the fringes did you find any little escape routes did you find out where he you thought he might be betting any encounters with this deer i had a very good suspicion that he was betting on the very southern end of the property actually onto the neighbors where i didn't have permission but the betting stopped pretty much at the property line and i knew that if i allowed him to feel comfortable up there and just hunted from a distance and make sure he was still in the area i was going to be able to get in there and get them once the rut started to pick up gotcha okay and so now you um take a step back did you say you saw him at all before you killed him so you saw him the I first did, time but yeah after I, I that saw him, i saw him october 11th and i never saw him again within bow range until 
think it was the 7th of November. Okay. And then throughout that period of time of hunting, did you notice a lot of sign? Did you have, I mean, were you still seeing deer hunting the fringes, just not Ohio? I saw a couple of groups of doe that were pretty patternable, a couple of smaller bucks, but he, he pretty much stayed very nocturnal during that, that pre-rut time. Okay. So I saw, I saw some scrapes, I saw some rubs, but not, nothing that made me really believe that he was leaving this, this core area and coming outside of it to leave that sign. All right. Did you identify food sources at all where you thought these deer were coming? I, well, the, the corn was still on that property, so and that was actually left up that entire year. So they had standing corn from whenever they planted it up until, I think, December or January when they finally took it down. And there was your natural browse in there, and we didn't have much of an acorn that year. I think we had some red oaks drop a little bit later, but there was nothing for the white acorns. Gotcha. All right. But nonetheless, there was food there. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right, so he's sticking tight to his uh, core area. Now, what when when you when you got in there, was there a certain access route that you kept using, or were you mobile to the sense where you were hunting that same area on multiple different wind directions? I was I was adjusting to the wind. If if I could sneak along some of the property lines and get in closer to that bedding, I would. But with, with very specific winds, I figured he was going to come out from the southern end, walk north, and I, I had to avoid bumping him with an east wind or a west wind. A south wind, I could get in pretty tight, but I also didn't want him slipping past me, veering east or west, and then grabbing my wind. Yeah. Okay. And is, is this is on the public, right, that you've been? No, this was private. This was private. Okay, this was the, yeah. the 30 acres that you yeah. were hunting. Okay. All right, cool. All right. Was there any other hunters that were popping in and out at the same time you were? I knew that the the neighbors to the east are were then and still are heavy hunters, so I was afraid that one of the neighbors would get the deer before I could. And this that, that was pretty much the only other hunting pressure in that immediate area. If you went further down the road uh, towards the south, there was a couple of of heavily pressured private lands there that the guys would hunt pretty much all season around. But where, where I was at, I was trying to keep it as laissez-faire as possible, trying not to spook this deer off this property. Okay. And so, but as far as that 30 acres, you were the only guy. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. So let's talk about the first encounter that you had with Ohio. Well, that was, that was the one on the October 11th where uh, I saw him I'm with, sorry. with the Bastard group. I'm yeah. sorry. But the, he goes nocturnal. And then yeah. the next time, you saw him after that. So this, yeah, this was November 7th. Uh, it was just obviously the very beginning of the rut. We actually had snow that year. It was finally cold enough to have snow, believe it or not. And I was hunting a bed to food route where I figured some doe were going to travel. And if he was interested in doe at that point, I figured he might've come down and try and intersect one of them. Well, sure enough, it's right around evening time the, the sun's just you know turning orange over the horizon but you can see this the silhouettes of the trees it was actually a very pretty sit and i look towards the west and i see this body start moving through the cover and i immediately knew it was ohio i was like yes i see him he's moving he's mobile i'm gonna have a chance at this deer because i'm between him and where the doe just went i have a shot 
So it's, it's about 60 yards, 80 yards from me. And he actually stops and just completely thrashes this sapling, just makes a giant scrape and a giant rub. And I was like, this is it. This is the moment I have. I have the picture saved in my mind and I know he's going to come straight for me. So I grab my bow and I'm a little nervous. I'm not going to lie. I'm a little nervous at this point. I, the, the buck fever starts setting in pretty good. Okay. And so you saw him come in, uh, talk to us before we start talking about him getting close enough to shoot. Let's talk about the access route. Okay. I want from your truck to your stand or, you know, to wherever the most detailed access description that you can give us. So from the truck, uh, the wind actually was Southwest that day. So I knew, I knew that I could have access from the North. There is two fields, one being corn, one just being a general hay field that was separated by a tree line that was about 10 yards wide. I snuck down that tree line to kind of avoid my silhouette and my scent was, or the, the wind was good to blow my scent away from where I suspected the deer to be bedding. Once I got into the woods, it really wasn't that far of a walk to get into the thicker bottom where I expected the deer to travel. It's probably about 60 yards. There was larger diameter trees, so I could actually hide behind those if I thought I heard or saw something. And there was enough more flora and some small saplings in there as well that broke up my movement as I walked through. Okay. All right. And you found the tree. What kind of, uh, talk to us about this stand location now. All right. You, well, what the tree, where this tree was at and why you, you picked this tree. So this tree was right on the edge of the cover where uh, another ridge was bottoming down into it with a small creek running uh, east to west. And the tree that I picked was actually a very open poplar, but there was a couple of dead oaks around it that and the branches were kind of this way, kind of that way. And I figured that was enough to break up my, my silhouette of my person to where if a deer did get in range, although I'm in a very open poplar, that the deer would be, you know, kind of confused by what they were looking at with all the dead limbs around me. Gotcha. Okay. Um, and then he shows up. Mm -hmm. All right. Walk us through what happens next. Well, he starts heading my way. Uh, I grab my bow. I'm fight or flight response. I am shaking terribly. It was like somebody put Gumby on vibrate mode. I, I could not <laughs> stop it. So this is probably the most embarrassing thing I've ever done in the woods, Dan. But as I'm sitting there holding my bow, elbows tucked, ready to draw back, I am shaking so bad that I actually rattle the arrow out of my whisker biscuit. <laughs> that's not that bad because that, that's happened to me. I thought you were going to say maybe you sneeze shit. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. All right. So and did the arrow like fall out and hit your tree stand? Uh, it, it did, it, it stayed on the, it stayed on the string with the knock, but it, it turned out and hit the, the metal support beam of the climber that I was in. It was just a, you know, quick tink, yep. but it was all that this deer needed to know that, Hey, something's in that tree. That's not supposed to be there. And he skedaddled. He actually, he kind of looked at me. Uh, I think he assessed that the fumbling mess of a person wasn't a threat to him and just kind of went about his business real slow and followed where the dough went. Ooh, buddy. Second chance. Well, uh, that's, that's what I thought, but, and it was cold. I was pumped full of, of adrenaline. I tried to grab another arrow. And, and by the time that I had the next one in, or I think I might have even tried to fix the one that fell off either way, 
he was gone. It, it, that that situation was over. Okay. All right. And did did you walk away from that failure? I guess we'll call it because you know maybe oh, the, yeah maybe that was a failure. Okay. Maybe it, he would have walked by if you didn't, or the doe would have walked by. And anyway, you 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 get out of there from a failure. Sometimes when you bump a deer or deer, something bad happens, you go, oh my God, I'm never going to see that deer again because it busted me or I messed up that bad. Mm-hmm. What was your gut reaction after that encounter went wrong? I, I was absolutely besides myself. I remember driving home, just thinking to myself, I can't believe I just did that. I finally had an opportunity on my target buck after not seeing him in range for almost a month. And I screwed it up because I couldn't keep myself together. Okay. Uh, how long until you were back in the woods? I went back the next day. All right. So next day happens. Same same access route? Uh, same access route. I think I only saw a small buck, a forky four or maybe a six and a couple of doe. And then I really get hard on myself thinking you had them. He saw you. He busted you. He's not here today. He's never coming back. Gotcha. Okay. Um, how, how, what did the rest of that, you know, until, until you saw Ohio again, how much time passed? It was actually just one more day after that. And I figured, you know, being mobile, I can be a little bit, uh, I can adjust myself a little bit more. So I'm getting back to his main bedding area to see if he's still in there. Gotcha. All so, right. So I, I went back the next morning and I saw him enter the bedding at 10 a.m. Okay. So he was on his feet later yep. in the morning. You yep. saw him enter the bedding area. And did this give you any type of knowledge of where he was coming from or what he was doing that would allow you to make a move on him? Uh, I knew that. If he, if he entered that bedding area, he was going to stay in that. I couldn't wrap around this bedding area because of property lines, so I was stuck to where I was. I could only move along the one edge of it and hope, hope that he would come out onto the property that I was on and be able to get a shot. Gotcha. Okay. From there, um, what are we uh, – like walk us through the, the, next, uh, the next day then. Well, that, that encounter wasn't – all that exciting because I saw him go in at 10 and he actually came out in the evening with the doe tending her, you know, it's right around the eighth or ninth or 10th of November. And he just wasn't going to leave her side. So I figured if he's comfortable in that bedding area, especially after me bumping him a couple of days prior, he was going to go back. Okay. And there was, there is one really good access route for the deer to get into the bedding area in the morning with a lot of thick cover and I knew that there was a couple of game trails in that same area. And if he was going to be scent checking anything, that was probably the route that he was going to go the next morning. Gotcha. Okay. All right. And did you make a move then the next morning? I did. I got home. I immediately went to bed and I woke up at 2 AM so I can get in my stand well before light. I was, I think I was in my stand and ready by three thirty, four o'clock. Okay. And so that that's a long time before daylight in November. Yeah, I was a little over anxious. Okay. And so uh, sometimes that can be a negative thing. Sometimes it can be a good thing. Uh, did you have, could you hear deer moving around doing their rut stuff in the timber? Uh, no, I, di- I didn't hear anything until a little bit before daylight. All right. 
And so walk us through what happens that morning. Well, this this was my heartbreak moment with this deer. You thought the first one was bad. This one this one might have been a little bit worse. So it's about 10 minutes before legal shooting light. And mind you, on my wristwatch, I have a setting to where it vibrates 30 minutes before sunrise. So I know when legal shooting is and, and when it isn't. And I, I see them. It's about 10 minutes before light. I check my watch just to make sure. I'm like, okay, it hasn't gone off yet, but I can see the deer. I know it's Ohio. He's coming through the access route that, that I was expecting. And he's just coming through real slow, real lazy. I might have time for him to make his, his distance from about 100, 120 yards to where I'm at now before he gets in, into the bedding area. Okay. So I grab my bow and I'm praying, like, just, just wait. Don't come too close too fast. I need more time. Okay. And? So, well, he, he comes in a little bit faster than I was hoping him to. And uh, I wind up going full draw on him at about 20 yards. But I know for a fact that my watch did not vibrate yet. So although I can see his body silhouette perfectly against the snow and I can see my pin perfectly, I know for a fact it's not legal shooting like. Oh, boy. And I, I am stuck with this ethical dilemma. Yeah. Nope. No. Nobody would know. Right. 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 I'm in this. I'm in the stand by myself. I could always say on the on the check-in app, yes, I shot him three minutes after legal light, and nobody would know. Right. But you would know. I I would know, and I didn't. I didn't want to be that guy, and I didn't want to have this target buck hanging on my wall and mentally have an asterisk next to it, knowing that I did the wrong thing just to get something that I wanted. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's a tough one. Because sometimes, sometimes, you know, and sometimes the conditions, I mean, an an overcast day, it's going to get too dark to shoot before legal shooting light ends. Right. And, Mm -hmm. uh, in the morning, sometimes it, you know, Hey, it's, it's legal shooting light, but you still can't see anything or, or, uh, uh, this is what happens a lot during the hunting season is if there is snow on the ground or in a, and there's a, a clear sky with a moon, you think it's earlier than what it really is. And yep. so you could definitely see what's going on, but it's past the legal shooting light. So you made the right move. All right. And uh, it sounds like you let him walk. I let him walk and I figured I was going to do an all day sit. It's, you know, it's the middle of the rut. He can come out at any moment. I'm just going to wait him out. Okay. And what happened as you start to wait him out? I didn't see Diddley squat the rest of the day. <laughs> That's how it goes. Yep. Oh, man. And I'll tell you what. Um, I, one of the last times I did an all-day sit, I went in. I saw a target buck show up. Same thing. He, But he was in a different field. He walked through he was on a different property walked into the property i i kind of guessed where he was betting i got down out of my tree stand i moved my tree stand another 30 yards closer to him on a creek crossing thinking this is with the wind and everything in my favor this is where he's going to step out this is where he's going to cross i didn't see another deer for another eight plus hours nine hours whatever you know whatever it is and that yeah. was that was when I made the decision, and I said, "Dude, I'm never gonna hunt. Like I am, it's gonna have to be some kind of gigantic buck for me to want to sit all day long." Yeah, I can't do it. I just can't do it anymore. They are grueling days. Yes, they are. 
And so, uh, diddly squat happens. Uh, what's the next move? Next move, I had to go to work the next day. I, I think I ran out of vacation time for, I think, just one shift. So I was able to go back for a couple of days after that. And I, I work my shift. I get off work the next morning. I think I'm just planning on an afternoon sit. And I'm sitting on my brother's couch. And I get a text from a neighbor. And I was like, oh, no. He, this guy never talks to me. Yeah, I, I, I do not want to look at this text. And sure enough... He sent me a photo of a deer that he killed, and it was Ohio. Ah. And so it, all your eggs were in one basket, and yep. and a guy says, "You know what? Uh, I shot this buck." What was your What was your initial reaction? I was expecting to feel envy and grief and jealousy, but to be completely honest, I was relieved. Yeah. Uh, and why were you relieved? Because I had tortured myself with a target buck, which I had never done before. And I have heard guys talk themselves into tizzies about chasing just one specific deer. And I told myself I would never do that. And then there I was just absolutely suffering over the best two weeks of the year. And I'm having a miserable time. Yeah, I feel you. I feel you. Uh, uh, That's happened to me as well. And I I had some mixed emotions going into it. Uh, And did you get the opportunity to go over and check the buck out? Nope. Uh, him and I, although we never had any disagreements, it was just one of those very casual relationships and different friend groups, different interests in life. And the only thing that he texted me, uh, that might have been the first and the last time he actually texted me a photo of a deer, to be honest. And he had, he had no idea I was hunting this deer. Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. Well, the season's not over, right? The no. deer, deer season doesn't stop. So this happens. Did you get back in the woods then and, and finish strong on the, the 19 season? So, yeah, this this whole event, this whole series of events with this buck I named Ohio led me to take a day or two out of the woods, kind of reset myself mentally, get my heart and my mind back into it. And I, I knew I, I had been hunting a specific property really hard for a couple days a couple weeks i i needed to make a switch so i uh after a couple days of relief time i I get back in there and i'm sitting on a different property although close to the one that i was initially hunting okay um we lost our cold front it was warm it was about 65 degrees It, it was very dry so i decided to go into a bedding area that typically held more moisture uh, than any other time of year or anything else in the area, knowing that they've been running hard, they've been running around, they're tired, they're thirsty. I kind of want to be around water. Okay. And uh, walk us through what happened, man. So it's about nine o'clock in the morning. I hear some chasing going on behind me, but the, the sunlight is sun washing all the branches in the forest, and I can't really see into the thicket very well. But I, I see this doe, I, I think it was a doe, go running through. And then there was a couple small bucks that chase it. And then this one just absolute giant rack, making all the racket, hitting all the branches in the woods as it's chasing this doe. And I was like, all right, there's still deer in the area. I didn't get Ohio, but I can maybe stick out this guy if he stays in the area the next few days. Okay. So I, I finished up the morning hunt. I knew that I needed to make a change for the evening hunt because that was the only activity that I saw that day. I, I needed to get on a different side of where this bedding was, hope, hoping that I could catch deer going into it rather than just sitting in the middle of it. 
So as I'm as I'm walking back to that stand location, and mind you, this this was planning to be an on the ground sit. I didn't even bring the climber with me at this point. I just needed I needed information, so I, I left the climber at home. All right. I'm walking back. I had no idea where to go, and I just I kind of s- sat there for a minute looking for some divine intervention. And I look up towards the sky and I see that there's a contrail from a plane going straight to this ridge. I was like, I don't know if that's a sign or not, but it's more than I have for my information to begin with. So, so I'm, you I'm were following that contrail. You were looking, you were looking for any sign, right? Yep. I was like, God, send me a sign. Well, this is good enough. <laughs> yep. That's exactly what I was doing. And so I, I where should... does it lead you? Uh, it led me to a creek bottom, which I got almost busted on by the group of deer that came crashing through 9 a.m. that morning. Okay. And it, it wound up being one doe who had to be an estrus and three small bucks and an absolute giant nine. It had the tallest tines that I have ever seen in the woods before. Okay. Especially on, on this property. But here here's the problem. I didn't have anything to get into a tree. And even if I did, it was an open hardwoods. I couldn't get up. Okay. I didn't have a way to get closer without them seeing me. And I didn't want to move back because giving a deer too much cushion gives them too much opportunity to get away from you. Right. So they, they were about 80 yards from me. And I, the only thing I had going for me was I was standing in a Creek bottom that allowed me to move quietly to the East and to the West, hoping that at, at some point, they were going to be thirsty enough to come down and get a drink of water. I just had to predict where they were going to go if that's what they did. Right. And what happened? Well, I, I kind of analyzed the terrain, saw that there was uh, a, a bee line, the shortest bee line that they would have to walk to get down to the creek. And I put myself about 20 yards from where that bee line would end up. All right. And I, I stood there for about three hours with a large tree right behind my back. And sure enough, the doe gets up. And obviously the bucks follow and the, the big, the big nine started chasing these little bucks around, but he was always just about 10 or 15 steps behind her. He was not letting her get out of the sight. Okay. So at this point you're on the ground and you have this giant in front of you. How far away was he? He started walking down the hill at about 60 yards, and as she came down the hill, she started drinking water about 30 yards from me. All right, so is 30 yards a shot opportunity for you? That's that's my max. I, I, I can shoot further. I just choose not to. I have an older bow, and at that point, I wasn't too particular about my arrow setup, so I always, I always kept 30 the max. Okay, all right. Um, she's at 30. He's coming up behind her. Yep. Does he provide an opportunity? He stays about 10 yards up the hill, and I did not have an opportunity where he was. He was still at 30 yards, but he had this uh, this cross log going right through his vitals, and I just wasn't able to get a shot. I needed her to, to go into the cover behind me to bring him down further. Okay. All right. And then at this point, um, it's kind of a, a wash, right? Yeah. So I, I was sitting there. I'm, I'm not, I'm not drawn back yet, but I'm, I'm standing in front of this tree. So I don't have really much cover between the, the deer and I, there's, there's a Creek opening and there's a small bank to go down to the Creek and that's it. So I'm, I'm sticking out like a sore thumb. Okay. All right. And 
you stick out like a sore thumb. There's, there's nothing, there's nothing that you can do. Um, I mean, is there any, anything awesome that happens at the rest of this day? The doe takes a step into the cover, which causes him to take another few steps down the hill, which gave me a shot. Okay. So here I thought, yeah. okay, I, the way you were talking was, Hey, he's out of my life forever. Nope. No, okay. no. I, all right. I'm just leading you on a little bit. All right. All right. Good. That, hey, that's good storytelling. <laughs> all right. So he, he steps out from the cover of that, of that one horizontal log and I'm in the open. So I have to draw no matter what. And he catches that movement. But as long as she didn't spook, I didn't think he was going to get off of her trail, which he didn't. And I don't, I don't know how long I was drawn back on this buck. I remember singing the ABCs a couple of times to distract myself from the muscle fatigue. And I think I hit happy birthday once or twice as well. Gotcha. And I just, I didn't want to shoot with him looking right at me because I figured he would jump the string. No, he, he finally gave up on the movement. He took one step and I gave him the classic yep. to stop, to stop him. Yep. And I let the arrow fly. It, it wasn't a great shot. It actually wound up spining him, but he dropped immediately. Hey man, I'm okay with that. I mean, you're not tracking him. You know where he's at. Yep. So yep. let's, uh, did it, did it. And so you spine him, you drop. Is this buck bigger than Ohio? Oh, significantly. Right. Okay. And so, and so he drops. Did you have to follow up with another arrow? I did. I, I knew he wasn't able to stand back up. So I actually ran up, uh, finished the exchange with the second arrow. And it, that, that moment afterwards was complete. It, it was euphoria, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> so right when you have this low, low spot in your career, like the number one buck you wanted to shoot, he, he's like, you know what? Um, this sucks, man. I, I did, did you ever think, for a moment, I'm just going to take a couple of days off and, and, and quit. Or were you just like, Hey man, it's time to get back on the horse right away. Uh, I'm, I'm always kind of a back on the horse kind of guy. I hate failing and I hate giving up even more. Gotcha. Okay. And so as you, you know, as you, you stand over this deer, you're in a state of euphoria. What was, what was the rest of your I mean, what was it? What was what was the feelings that were going through your? Oh, man, it was, it was, it was kind of. Well, I I knew I never wanted to do a target buck again. Even in that very moment, I was like, I'm never letting a target buck take away the season because if I had stuck stuck with Ohio, if he had ne never been killed by the neighbor, I never would have had the opportunity on that deer. Okay. And and, and this was a bigger buck. He he was. It was a much. It was, it was a greater story to be able to share with people being in the creek for hours, watching him come down, chase the doe, waiting for her to, to cross the creek and get into the cover for him to, to finally give me that shot. I enjoyed that so much more than, than having a target buck just completely give me the, the ring around. And in that moment, you, you do what you always do. You grab your cell phone and you start making phone calls. Like, yeah. I did it. I did it. Yep. 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 And, and who was your first phone call? It's normally my dad. Okay. And, yeah. uh, normally, but did you call your dad? The I, I, I did. It was, and I say normally cause sometimes he's busy quote unquote working or fishing. Gotcha. And 
And he answered, he's like, all right, congratulations, good job. Was it Ohio? Because I actually didn't tell him that Ohio was killed by the neighbor. And I said, no, it's a different buck. He's much bigger, so this is better. Yeah. Okay. And so, um, and and who who helps you drag? My brother. It was He was living close to that property at the time, and I called him next, and I said, get the four-wheeler. <laughs> get the four-wheeler. And uh, he was pretty jacked about this whole thing as well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, him and his wife came down. Uh, we had a bunch of photos taken. It was it was a great moment for the three of us to experience together. Man, that's awesome. And so 2019 happens, and it is a awakening for you to continue, you know, to, to start this mobile uh, approach to hunting. And yes. s- since then, have you found success being mobile? Uh I have gone from killing two deer a year to four or five deer a year after making the mobile switch. Oh man. And that's, uh, are, are, does that open you up to different States too? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I've, I, uh, after 2019, I started hunting Pennsylvania more. I started hunting Michigan a little bit more frequently. Um, and now that I have a little bit easier of a work schedule, expect that I was still working two fire jobs. Um, the, the plan to go out to other States is just ever growing every year. Gotcha. Okay. Well, my friend, congratulations on, you know, having the gusto to go mobile. Congratulations on a great deer in uh, 2019 and congratulations for you know, the, the following season since then, man, it sounds like you are, you found, you found something that works and you're sticking with it. Absolutely. I don't think I'll ever go back and thank you for the congratulations. Yeah, absolutely. So the last thing that I I just want to touch on is you do a lot of filming your hunts and you do a lot of, uh, you have this little thing that you do called food or field to food, right? Yep. All right. So talk to, talk to us about, uh, what field to food is and where we can find it. Uh, Field to food is a media production company that I started in 2020 and the 2019 led to, to beginning field to food thinking to myself, like I had, I had this target buck that I chased. That's a great story in itself. And then having the highs and lows of a season, and that the pinnacles and the climaxes of a story match up with this perfectly, this season needed to be on film just to share it with people. Mm-hmm. So th- that was the conception of Field of Food. And uh, all, all the all the meat that we harvest from the field is what we eat. If, if, it, if it weren't for the, for the meat, I pr- honestly probably wouldn't hunt. Okay. So, so the whole concept of field of food is to give the game that you acquire from the field the respect that it deserves, not not only from where it starts with ethical hunting and, and making sure that you take good, clean shots and, and hunt with respect for the animals, but also the better care you take of the meat, the better it's going to taste. And you can do so much with your meat. And I think a, a lot of a, a lot of the recipes, no pun intended, kind of get left on the table. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. Well, that's awesome, man. And what's your Instagram handle? Uh, everything, TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube are all field to food. Perfect. Perfect. Go check that out. Dane, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and, and share share this story with us. Thank you very much. And uh, good luck in any and all upcoming seasons. Thank you, Dan. I had a great time talking with you and good luck to you as well. 
And there you have it. Huge shout out to Dane. Huge shout out to our partners, Tethered, Wasp, Hunt Stand, and Vortex. Please go out and support the companies that support this podcast. Please go to iTunes, leave a five-star review. That really helps me if you could do that. Please go to the social media, uh, your so, like Instagram, for example. Please go to Instagram and just see if you can even find my Instagram page. That I would really help. That would really help me if you could do that. Maybe leave a comment on uh, something that I post, just so I know that they haven't officially blacked me out yet. So, thank you for that. And again, it's all about the good vibes in, good vibes out. Wear your safety harness, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you.